0: Studios of WMYU at five University Place. This is in depth on sports. I am your host Ian Colalucci, and folks, this is our very first show, and I could not be more excited to be with you today. And for jumping into the sports scene, this is the perfect time to go into this. Uh, We are uh, just turning the calendar over to November, and. You have all four major sports in some high-quality action. I mean, we have Week 8 of the NFL season wrapping up. Uh, we are at the in the thick of a fantastic World Series. Now, note, I am recording this on a Sunday. So uh, on Tuesday, we may know the winner of the World Series when this is airing. Uh, the Atlanta Braves are up three games to one and could easily clinch this one tonight with uh, a Game 5 victory. So obviously, uh, we won't know that for now. But in terms of the NFL, also Week 8 of the NFL season wrapping up. We will get a chance to touch on that. But first and foremost, this show is going to be, well, it's going to be a few things. We're certainly going to be talking about and summarizing what has gone on in each of the major leagues in the United States, but uh, we're going to make predictions. We're going to uh, summarize. We're going to talk to people about what's going on, but... This is going to be a little different in that we're not just going to make uh, we're not just going to make these you know summaries and you know talk about what's going on. We're going to ask some tough questions to people involved in the sports industry, and we're going to find out the answers to questions that you know you may not have thought about, but will certainly be a huge issue down the road. Uh, coming up in the next few weeks, we'll outline who we have. Uh, we have Chris Pierce coming on in a couple weeks to discuss. Uh, his position as the vice president of fan commerce of the New York Jets, and we're going to get his take on the whole issue of fans being and attending live sports, which I think is a very... Important issue to discuss, uh, in terms of you know the plethora of entertainment options out there. Is there a future for the for attending live sports and you know interacting and commercing in these large stadiums and arenas? Which, as someone who is my age at twenty years old, I mean it's second nature. But will the next generation latch onto sports? like we have. So we're going to be talking to him about these kinds of things and also his position with the Jets and certainly as a big representative at MetLife Stadium. Uh, we're definitely going to be tackling issues such as youth sports, uh, the roles of analytics uh, in terms of baseball uh, mainly, but definitely in all major sports. We're going to be talking to a few experts in that field. But for this episode, this episode is going to be primarily just summarizing you know, the last couple weeks or so we're going to be diving into you know how do these questions apply in the in the main in what has gone on really in the last month or so so i know this is such a great time as i said before it's such a great time to jump in to the world of sports but we're going to start right now with major league baseball specifically in the world series we have game we just had uh game four between the astros and braves in which the braves locked up a great close victory over the Astros with some phenomenal pitching by Kyle Wright out of the bullpen as well as the usuals. AJ Minter, Tyler Maztec, and Will Smith completely shutting down the Astros offense, which is pretty hard to do as they are one of the top offenses in the American League led by Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, and Alex Bregman. So kudos to them. That's very impressive. But just to think about you know, the context of this game alone, uh, in terms of you know viewership or just watching it itself, if you watched baseball back in the 1970s or 80s and hadn't turned it on since then, you wouldn't recognize the sport that is on the field just in terms of the way moves are made, uh, the way that uh, managers sort of... Organize their teams going into these important, cru- crucial postseason matchups. I mean, if you notice, the the Braves took out their opener, uh, Dylan Lee, in what turned out to be after uh, four batters. Uh, it's the shortest postseason start. In history, uh, well, not in history. Uh, my mistake there. Uh, it's the short. Uh, it's one of the shortest starts in postseason history, and it's because they wanted to turn it over to Kyle Wright to shut down the damage that could have easily resulted if Dylan had stayed out there for the rest of the inning. So, uh, and it, it did work. They managed to hold the game, uh, hold the Astros to one run, uh, and that turned out to ultimately be the only way that they were able to score, as the Braves managed to clearly pick up a very decisive victory in the series uh and now tonight it is game 5 and they're doing the same thing again they're starting Tucker Davidson out there uh in he he is also a rookie and again we'll see if the strategy works and you know what i know for the entertainment purposes of the game it's hard to imagine you know someone sitting down and watching all these moves taking place as a casual fan but this is the way baseball has become. Uh, it is a more effective way to, to win. I mean, look at look at Tampa Bay. Look at Oakland. If you're not familiar, the Rays and the A's are the two of the smallest markets in Major League Baseball. And while they have been limited to a, they have not made a World Series in the last 20 years. The A's last appearance in a World Series was back in 1989 and the rays as an expansion franchise in 1998 have not have made a world series only in 2020 a shortened 60 game season and lost to the los angeles dodgers but you got to figure that the success that these two teams have had with no major marketable stars other than a few exceptions here and there goes to show how this methodology will work it will prevail in the long run In that these teams sort of analytical theories are the future for Major League Baseball and you know for the older fan out there is this good well no if you look at viewership numbers it it worries me you know I have watched baseball my entire life and I couldn't imagine a day where it would be relegated to the background where. The World Series would be just sort of like a blip in the minds of people as opposed to this major event. Now, in 2016, when the Cubs broke the curse, Game 7 at one point was watched by 75 million people. That's remarkable. That's about 25% of the country. That's astonishing. That's almost as much as a Super Bowl, which is around 100 million. But now, the World Series this year and last year in 2020, although we'll regard that as a bit of an exception... Uh, They're hovering in the low 10s for viewership. Now, this is slightly lower than usual, but it is a trend that has continued in most sports, actually. If you look at the National Basketball Association and the National Hockey League, uh, ratings are down um, in most cases across the board. And in terms of sports, is it because analytics are taking over? I mean, if you look at both hockey and basketball, I mean, hockey itself, uh, excuse me, basketball is run on the three-point game. There are many people who prefer college basketball to the NBA because of the different styles of play, and it sort of turns viewers off to this sort of, okay, what will work in the in a given situation, but is it appealing to the general fan? Well, we're not really sure. And I think there are a lot of trends out there that, say, that point out that maybe this is a bad thing. I know it is generally successful for organizations, but... It's something to think about going forward, and it's definitely going to be one of the issues we're going to talk about on this program in many instances. We're going to have a few guests who have dabbled in the fields of analytics in both the MLB and the NBA to discuss their positions on whether or not they view analytics as a positive or a negative. So we'll get into that a little bit, but in terms of the World Series itself, uh, Game 5 is tonight. Uh, We shall see. Uh, Personally, I think Houston will get the win tonight. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I think they're going to take uh, the Game 5 victory just as a sort of, sort of you know, kind of save themselves in a do-or-die situation. But I ultimately think... It looks like the Braves are going to prevail, I would say, in six games in the series. So we're going to have to see. Um, but that is the story in Major League Baseball. Now, let's turn our attention now to the NFL, where we are... Now eight out of 17 games into the season. Uh, and it's been an exciting one in terms of, you know uh, sort of big stars coming up with these large perform- uh, these big performances. I mean, Tom Brady continues to assert his dominance with his, at this point, uh, six and one Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but obviously after the four o'clock game against New Orleans today, we shall see if that continues, although it looks like they're going to win this one. I'm not sure. They are favored by a couple of points on the spread, but uh, I don't see a way where New Orleans pulls this out. And of course, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, uh, you know what? I could have been wrong on both counts, so we're going to have to see. But in terms of just the NFL in general this year, I mean, if you look at the AFC East, uh, you know, it's run, uh, a lot of these conferences are sort of run by a specific team, Uh Buffalo kind of asserts its dominance over the rest of the competition with Miami, New England, and the Jets sort of relegated to the background. Uh, In the South, Tennessee seems to have asserted its foothold uh, over Indianapolis, Houston, and Jacksonville. The West has obviously been a little bit more uh, competitive with Denver and Las Vegas running the show out there and Kansas City shockingly uh just an, an overall poor performance and of course they play on Monday night against the hometown for this station New York Giants uh we'll have to see how that goes I know Kansas City favored by nine and a half in that game but uh, and you know what the Giants are relegated to a bunch of injuries with a bunch of injuries so you'd think Kansas City would pull this one out pretty easily but you know what anything's possible with this chiefs team that has been probably the most inconsistent team in the league of the competitors out there I mean I'm not really comparing them to Jacksonville or the Jets or Houston but in terms of teams that had a have a shot at the playoffs let's face it Kansas City will probably make the playoffs as a 7 seed and just I think they will turn it around but they and, and probably finish with a 10 and 7 or a 9 and 8 record but uh, you got to figure that they have to win this one against the Giants. It's a must win. If they lose this one, I, I think their playoff chances are pretty minimal, but we'll have to see. Uh, and then, you know, in terms of competitiveness, this is what we are talking about here. Most divisions are run by a specific team. It's, I know it's a three, it's a uh, seven teams make the playoffs in each league. Uh, the only division where I really see this sort of thick competition as to who will win the division i think the nfc south is pretty and the afc west are sort of that one division exception in each league where you don't really know uh who's going to win it in the long run uh but i think three out of the four divisions in each conference are pretty solidified buffalo will most certainly win the east i think the north is I know it's close now. You have Cincinnati, Cleveland, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh all vying for a spot, but I do believe that Baltimore will probably finish out on top. I don't know. I I, I'm I as most people realize sports pundits have are usually wrong in a lot of instances, but it's just in my opinion that I think in the long run, they will manage with their ease of schedule. They're five and two right now. I know Kansas City's five and two, and at this moment, they're in a bit of a tangle right now with the New York Jets, which is interesting. But Baltimore has to play Miami. They have to play. They do have to play Green Bay and LA. We'll see how those go. But in for the rest, it is just their division, and because of who they play, they play Cleveland twice and Pittsburgh. A two and one record there really puts them in a really good position. Uh, in that division there the Browns are four and three and we'll have to take on the Ravens twice also we'll have to play Green Bay and we'll have to play Las Vegas so I think that division is a little less close than people give it credit for it could come down to a close finish but I really do think Baltimore will end up on top I think the as I said the AFC West and the NFC South will definitely be the close divisions of the eight in the NFL and the NFC West I think Arizona's got it Although the Rams are the Rams do have a tougher schedule, I, that's why I think they're going to fall off. But we'll have to see. So that is the story right now in the NFL as we are through Week Eight, and now we turn our attention to the other two, the NBA and the NHL, which have just gotten underway. And you know this is early, 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 uh, early season statistics, and of course, uh, but right now both of these leagues are sort of topsy turvy. You know, it, it, you had the Lakers and the Nets, who everybody thought would run away with it. Um, it, it well, you know what? And again, it's early. It, it's it's very early to be making these predictions. Uh, but right now, these teams look like the the pit of mediocrity, I would say. I mean, I, the Lakers right now, uh, I, I don't know where their heads are at. Um, I'm sure things will change. I'm sure LeBron and AD will pick things up. In the long run, but really, you know, they're eighth in the West. They're three and three. Uh, They play Houston tonight, and we'll play them on Tuesday night. They played them tonight. We'll see how that goes. But and uh, and the Nets also in a very similar position. Uh, They are going to be playing uh, Detroit tonight, and uh, they're also three and three, and they're tenth in the Eastern Conference. Now it's six games. It's kind of ridiculous to say that that these teams are going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be relegated to the bottoms of their respective conferences. But these teams look so lost out there. It's hard. It's I I don't know. It's these are teams that are sort of supposed to dominate. And when you have teams that are supposed to dominate in the NBA, they generally do Go, go, go through in the last 10 years or so Teams that were sort of picked to be at the top of their respective divisions, they generally, it generally pans out for them. The one notable exception I would say is Brooklyn themselves, back when they made the trade with Boston to acquire the big three out there. And they absolutely, you know, that turned out to be a disaster for them. And that was, I think, an instance where, you know, everyone thought they were going to do well and they didn't. And this is another case where you have Kyrie Irving relegated to the sidelines as a result of his choice to remain unvaccinated. And you have a Nets team run by older stars, and obviously Kevin Durant, will I think is the favorite for the MVP this year. Although Giannis and Luka Doncic will certainly give him a run for his money, but he is the fate. Uh, he is the favorite to win MVP with a great cast behind him of Blake Griffin and uh, obviously James Harden and Joe Harris and. A plethora of other star or reasonably talented role players that could certainly, you know, provide a great base for him to easily pull out fifty games for the Nets this year. And the three and three right now, with a below average offense and a well below average defense, uh, they're going to have to turn it around pretty quickly. I think in this competitive division, in these competitive, in their respective competitive conferences. I think the Jazz and the Nuggets run the West out there. Uh, and, of course, Dallas will obviously remain a major player. But, you know, it's hard to see where... Uh, Nick uh, The Lakers right now, keep in mind, they're 49% to make the playoffs right now. That's pretty remarkable. I don't think a LeBron team, since maybe his early time with Cleveland back in 05 and 06, I don't think a LeBron James team has been that low in a playoff percentage point in a very long time. And it's hard to imagine a situation where that is the case, but it is in this one. And as he gets older, obviously, this may happen more often, but it shows that there is certainly a turning of the tide in the NBA. There are, there, this is sort of the generation of players that I grew up with personally, uh, this, is, this is it. This is sort of the last roundup for them. And there is a new generation coming in of over the last five years that will that will definitely take over within the next couple of years or so. It will be interesting to see how teams like the Bucks and the Suns and Dallas, who ha- are guarded by these young stars. Uh, Phoenix, in general, I think is the most interesting just because of how young their roster is. DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker, both under the age of 25. And that's going to be fantastic for a team like Phoenix, who... Has enjoyed success in every decade of their existence, yet almost put it toge- have almost put it together multiple times. Have yet to finish it out. They obviously lost in the finals this year, and they've won three Western Conference titles back in 76 and 93, I believe, and of course, obviously, in 2021. So we're going to have to see, but we're going to turn our attention now to the NHL, where again, as I said, the topsy-turviness of each league, teams that were... Heavily, heavily favored to begin the season, have started out extremely slow. And teams like uh, the Carol, sorry, the Florida Panthers are eight and zero, and the Buffalo Sabers are five and one. And I, I know uh, Detroit is four and three as well. And obviously Tampa, the heavy favorite out there, is sitting in the middle of the pack. And again, it's early. We'll see. Carolina and Florida are both undefeated. If I don't think anyone out there who follows the NHL would have ever thought that both of these teams would start out undefeated. I know Washington is also undefeated at 5-0-3 with 13 points, but that's pretty remarkable to these Southern teams with lots of young talent uh, to be running their respective divisions. So definitely going to be a lot to watch out there. And also in the West, uh, I think it's a little more, it's a little less, more predictable. Uh, I I know the Oilers are run by Conor McDavid and they are obviously off to a hot start at six and one. And uh, in the West, teams like uh, LA and Anaheim were projected to do poorly and have started poorly. And teams like Chicago and Arizona, also projected to do poorly, have both yet to crack the win column. So the West a little more predictable, but certainly a competitive NHL race to start out. And now, as we have wrapped up our discussion on the leagues, we turn our attention to the locals. We turn our attention to the New York beat, what is going on in all the, in all sports in terms of the Yankees, Mets. Uh, I know, obviously, both were eliminated about a month ago. We're going to be talking about you know uh, what their thoughts are for the offseason. We're going to be talking about, obviously, the Giants and the Jets uh in terms of you know their focus now with these below average starts I uh, I know the Jets are uh ju- doing what they were supposed to do out there and the Giants you know picked up a nice win last week uh and now are playing the Chiefs Monday night again we don't know we will find out what happens with that but you know what we're going to have to see uh what what is the next step for Dave Gettleman, uh, are the Jets going to be willing to fire Robert Saleh very quickly? Uh, we're going to have to see. Uh, and obviously, in the NBA and NHL, we have the Knicks and Rangers off to hot starts. The Islanders kind of surprising with a mediocre start, and the Devils. Uh, it's uh, the Metropolitan Division, by the way, in the NHL. Lots of talented teams in there, all doing very well, but. Uh, it's amazing. The Blue Jackets are four and three, and they are last, which is pretty remarkable to see how well they are doing. But we're going to talk about all the New York sports when we come back. This is in depth on sports with Ian Colucci. We'll be back in thirty seconds. Welcome back. And where we left off, uh, we were going. We were going into uh, into New York. We were going to talk about obviously the. Um, Big issues surrounding New York sports over the last few weeks, and as I said, we are you know in sports equinox season, all the major sports in action. Um, you know the Yankees and Mets were uh, eliminated uh, in September, and for the Yankees, October. Uh, and but you know what? You do have all seven of the NFL, NBA, and NHL teams in action right now. And just from a personal perspective, I'm a Giant fan, I'm a Ranger fan, and a casual Nick fan, and. From what I've seen, I have to say, for expectations, they're they're being exceeded. I know the Giants have been somewhat disappointed, diff- disappointing right now. But the fact that the Knicks and the Rangers have come out hot for the first time in in ten years or so, to to me that to me that's that's sets up hope for up until June. I mean, the fact that both of these teams could potentially have maybe deep playoff runs i know the knicks uh after last year against the hawks are maybe thinking okay let's just get a first round win or the rangers in their case after losing to carolina in their last playoff appearance are just trying to get back there but you know what for me the for the giants there wasn't really a lot of hope that there was going to be a deep playoff run i I wasn't really thinking that you know the giants were going to demolish whoever they were gonna play in the wild card round. I, I didn't think they were gonna win the division. I thought at best maybe six seed, seven seed, and they would have to play one of the big guns like Tampa or Green Bay. And you know what? If it turns out that this team does tank, it's gonna be another draft pick that is hopefully solid. Uh I know our draft picks over the last few years have been a mixed bag of sorts i know we're kind of still waiting on Kadarius tony uh although from indications of his off the field stuff and some of his attitude issues um i don't know uh it's it's a little bit shaky there and i know uh saquon hasn't been able to stay on the field and we have daniel jones hurt uh we have kenny galladay hurt and it's just you know what with all the injuries I, I can accept another year of this just because it's become the status quo in New York football. Uh, I know on the uh, on the other side of things, that the New York Jets are sinking further and further into the cellar. Uh, I know Zach Wilson is going to be out for the next month. And the fact that they are starting Mike White... I know they just signed Joe Flacco, but the fact that they are starting him out there is just an indication of what Jets football has become... It is, you know, pin your your hopes on one quarterback, watch him sort of fall apart under a somewhat shaky offense, uh, not a ton of weapons around him, a somewhat decent line, uh, but, you know, watch him sort of implode under the weight of the system, and then have a backup come in who will do well and sort of get your hopes up a little bit. Uh and then you know what kind of falter at the end of the day. Uh now right now I don't know how uh, Mike White is going to fare. Uh but you know what? Maybe he'll do great. Um they are playing Cincinnati today. Uh it's it's Sunday, obviously. As I said, uh this is gonna air on Tuesday, but it is Sunday. We don't know how they're gonna fare against Cincinnati, but uh hey, who knows? I know the Bengals are five and two. But this is not impossible for the Jets, judging with sort of how rookie or per- sort of one off performances kind of randomly happen in Jets' land. There's always something remarkable that will happen throughout the season that everybody will be shocked about. But in the long run, it probably won't matter in the slightest, as the Jets will probably finish off with another three and, well, now three and 14 or four and 13 season that is just disappointing for any Jets fan involved and obviously we're going to talk when Chris Pierce does uh do his guest appearance we're going to talk to him about that off uh that success on the field and if it is going to translate or how well does it translate to fans in the stands is there as big a correlation as you might think are people going just for the experience alone but we'll talk about that as we go forward but Turning our attention now, as uh, we turn our attention now to, as I said, the Knicks and the Rangers, who have started off on a reasonably solid pace. I know uh, last night R.J. Barrett looked phenomenal. Uh, it was there was reason for. Hope I, I don't know if hope's the right word because you know you don't know with the Knicks, but the fact that they're five and one, RJ had thirty five eight and six with uh, uh, well I think is really important six three pointers made. I know there were a lot of questions about his abilities from beyond the arc, and he has shown both in the preseason and now against. I know it was a week it's a week New Orleans team one and six, but um you know what I I gotta say this is optimistic just from his performances as sort of this is what we think he can be uh this is you know someone who can be an all-star a few times in his nick lifespan. uh i know he had 35 um and the fact that well one i know they play toronto and i think in indiana indiana coming up and i think toronto and indiana aren't necessarily big tests so you could see them going seven and one to start the year which I can't believe, uh, but it's interesting how some of these major markets like Chicago, both, both Chicago and the Knicks are five and one. Now, both of these teams have sort of rebuilt and brought pieces in so that they can sort of remain contenders in an Eastern Conference that doesn't have a ton of breakaway, although the Bucks and the Nets supposedly were the favorites, but are now for both three and three. But again, this could easily change over the course of the next couple of months or so. But I, I got to tell you, th- this is this is a this is a three seed or a four seed team, in my opinion. Th- this is there is something to be said about how the Knicks are successful from beyond the arc. I know Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker are, are sort of the pe- the pieces that the Knicks brought in to sort of bring them from this middle of the road playoff team to a somewhat of a contender. Uh, and now, I mean, uh, according to the New York Post, they shot fifty seven percent from deep against uh against the Pelicans to win only by six. Again, this is not a team that is going to be shooting threes all the time, but I know they're playing against a weak team, but we saw success. So, I got to take it where I where I can get it. Uh, you know what? And you have Julius Randle who's supposedly going to be leading this team along with Cam Walker and I'm happy about that. There's reason for me to keep watching Nick games in February and March, as opposed to giving up after December or November. And, you know, with the Nets, as I said, it's been underperformance. But again, they are missing Kyrie Irving, and they don't. They, you know what? The team like Brooklyn. This is not a team that is going to win based on, you know, chemistry or any of the traditional old school basketball methodology. It's going to be a team that is run by stars and star performances will carry them throughout the season. Uh, If you have these great performances by Blake Griffin who manages to show up with a 25 and 15 night looking like Blake Griffin from 2014 great. They're going to take that and that's what's going to be what carries them to the victory that night. Now, I don't think he's going to do that that much this season. I mean, he's averaging four points a game through five games. He's a role player now. And this is the sort of thing where it's going to be like, okay, oh, someone who's 35 had a phenomenal performance last night and he carried us to the victory. They're going to need to do that 55, 60 times if they want to assert their dominance in this conference. And do I see that happening? Well, it happens. It happens before. It'll happen again. I mean, that's kind of what brought them through last year. If you know how, everyone knows that you know James Harden, Kyrie, and uh, Kevin Durant did not really all stand the uh, the court for most of the uh, most of the year. There were very few instances where they all played what they should play, which is 35, 40 minutes in a game. But in one instance or another, some someone was out with an injury, and now again they're faced with the same problem and. They're gonna have to do what they did last year, which is piece together performances from their stars, where someone can carry them to a victory every night. And this can happen, and they probably will end up as one of the top seeds in the East. But again, as a playoff team, it's gonna be a luck sort of thing. I, I when we get to the playoffs and they're playing a six seed or a seven seed, they will, you know, are they gonna have to hope? They're gonna have to hope that. Well, one, we don't know if Kyrie's gonna be back by then, and I don't know. It doesn't seem like it doesn't even seem like he will, to be honest with you. Uh, It's kind of shocking to see that. But if he's not even back, it's going to be a matter of can my aging stars put together great performances on an inconsistent basis enough so that they can get to a finals berth, which in all honesty seems unlikely. I, I do not think the Nets will be a finals team with this group. I I I I would maybe maybe one appearance. I'll give them one appearance in the finals, but I don't even think they can win against the team like uh, Phoenix or Dallas or even Denver for that matter. I think these teams are built for long-term success, whereas the Nets yet again are fledging their hopes on sort of this big these three big-time stars who may not have enough left in the tank to prove otherwise that they will continue to be as successful as they once were. They are still some of the most the most promising or the best talent in the NBA. Kevin Durant is probably the best athlete player in the league. There are arguments in many other cases for someone like Giannis or even LeBron just because of his basketball IQ, but Durant and holds sort of the all-around best player title in most in most opinions, but again, we're going to have to see how the season goes. But as we now have are discussed are, uh, on on NBA basketball in New York, let's turn our attention to hockey, where the Rangers, Islanders, and Devils are all sort of in positions where you could see all three of them making the playoffs. I know the Devils are run by a young talent base with Jack Hughes, obviously, at the center of this uh, large rebuild that the team is going under. Uh, but the team does have pieces like uh, Pico, P.K. Subban, who can sort of provide that veteran leadership but i i can see them making the playoffs maybe as an eight seed i know we're going back to the original format uh that we had two years ago uh but we're we're gonna have to see with them uh but i think in terms of the rangers and the islanders this is this is the year where I know the Islanders the Islanders have forever disappointed. Uh, I mean, losing losing to Pittsburgh last year, this sort of Eastern Conference Finals loss has become the pattern for them. And with such a powerful offense, I would say, but, but I would say balance on the offensive and defensive sides and coming off a somewhat mediocre start, Barry Trotz has a great lineup. On, in each of his four lines has someone that they can rely on for consistent points. I mean, Anders Lee got hurt uh, in the middle of the season and m- never played again um, after a brutal injury to his uh, ACL and now is back on the ice, hopefully providing that, captain, that captaincy that he should. And you know what? With a team as versatile as the Islanders, I'm surprised that they are... 27th in goals this year I know they only have they only have 17 right now I think that will change their defense is doing what they should do I mean uh Sebastian Ajo is going to be leading them in terms of uh in terms of defensive prowess and obviously zanochara with that veteran presence you know Zanichara is 44 it's remarkable to see how he is still in the league I mean there's a lot of defensemen like him like Mark Stahl who are still out there still hanging on even though they're 40 years old or older which is pretty remarkable but Matthew Barzal of course and uh, another veteran Matt Martin Brock Nelson uh, all of whom have provided both clutch performances in the playoffs last year and are young enough so that they can hold down the fort for what should be a deep playoff run and hopefully a finals run for them this year and then at the garden with the Rangers it's Hanging on to the hope of a 5-2 and two start, and then seeing if the young guns will de- take that next step that they should. Uh, Lafreniere uh, and Capo Kako have really, have seen action, but this is sort of their year to sort of prove as such high draft picks. Caco was number two. Lafreniere was obviously number one. The Rangers, remarkable luck in the draft lottery. I mean, gosh, it's remarkable how they have managed to secure such a high position with not a horrible performance uh i mean they've had sort of mediocre seasons and have still managed to be at the top of the board but now we're at the point where this is this has to be a playoff team uh i know they play seattle tonight and they're this is a sort of a west coast run for them they have vancouver and edmonton both of whom should provide uh substantial challenges i know edmonton will certainly be as conor mcdavid has had one of the best starts to an nhl season in recent memory um but I think it's going to be interesting to see how the young talent performs. And if you if you go back like 10 years or so with the Rangers, uh, you had sort of a core of guys that were surrounding Henrik Lundqvist and Goal over that last 10, 15-year period. And think about the remar- remarkable successes in that time period. You had a team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals, and lost to a great LA Kings team on a goal by Alec Martinez in Game Five, very heartbreaking, obviously. And another team a couple years later against the Canadians, where Mika Zibanejad arguably had the greatest Rangers goal of the 2010s to beat the Canadians and send them to play Ottawa, who they did eventually lose to. But regardless, still provided two or three, in many uh, three cases, of Rangers runs that were deep and that people clearly cared about. And now that we're going into the 2021-2022 season, which is hard to imagine just, you know, in a time standpoint, you have, you know, your Criders and your Zabana Jazz as your veteran leadership, but you have Adam Fox, who at just 23 has stepped up to be the team's best defenseman, uh, you have Artemi Panarin and Lafreniere and Ryan Strome leading the way on offense with a strong with a strong first couple lines there. That while I know our goal average isn't very high right now, I think it's in the low twos. It's their defense has been able to hold the ground very steadily. So that I mean in their last matchup it was a shutout. I mean they completely dismantled Columbus's. Uh, Columbus's offense, and in large part, you can blame uh, Igor Chesterton's fantastic goaltending as well. So a lot to think about with this Rangers team. We'll see how it goes going forward. But lastly, we will turn our attention to baseball in the offseason plans for the New York Yankees and the New York Mets. Now, the Yankees, of course, are looking to uh, really silence a lot of their fans who are pretty outraged over a very disappointing well last 12 years to be honest i know you know what as a yankee fan you can be spoiled with the team's playoff appearances they make the in the last since the 09 world series they made the play, they have made the playoffs almost every year there were two years i believe where they did not and as a yankee fan it's hard to be disappointed with that but I think people are just looking to turn their anger to somebody. And in large part, it was directed at Aaron Boone. It was directed at management. And of all the calls to fire Boone, what happens? He gets a three-year extension. And it's hard to imagine a situation where Yankee fans wouldn't be upset about that. But in my personal opinion, I really believe that Boone itself is really not the biggest issue. It's really player performance. Um, I know that's a bit controversial for many, but come on, it's baseball itself. Well, we're going to talk about this when we go into analytics a little bit more. But baseball itself and managers, the role that they play, it's really a front office decision. I mean, these Boone is not necessarily making all the decisions. Look at look at Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts when uh, they were playing the Braves in the NLCS and Corey Canable started over as an opener in the middle games of the series, Dave Roberts explicitly said, no, it was not his decision. And I think in Aaron Boone's case, it's pretty much the same thing. The Yankees are looking towards an analytical path, and I think that showing that they're going to have a three-year extension with Boone is an indication of that. He is their man. He will do what is asked of him, and he will essentially put this sort of mindset in front that they will run from the front office and hopefully use the moves that Cashman and Steinbrenner make in order to get the team back to the World Series. And to be honest, in the last 12 years, it hasn't really worked. Um, And you could argue that this kind of started over the last few years. I don't think when they had Joe Girardi, this was their strategy. It's probably why he got fired so early. If you remember that great run in 2017 against the Astros where they lost, that was arguably the team that should have gone to the World Series and could have beaten the Dodgers. Uh, but obviously the Astros and their cheating ways got in the way of that. But in all honesty, this is where we're at. Um, he's going to be the manager for the next three years, and I think people are looking for the Yankees to make a lot of moves, uh, starting with possibly acquiring maybe a guy like Matt Olson as in a trade with Oakland. It looks like Oakland's maybe dismantling the farm a little bit. Bob Melvin going to San Diego to become their new manager. And the A's maybe realize that this core of guys like with Chapman and Olsen and Ramon, well, Ramon Loriano is out of that core after the off-field issues with him, but uh, Mark Canha and a few others, they're not going to be the team that gets them to the World Series, so maybe the Yankees could strike a deal with them to acquire another big, powerful lefty bat. Uh, If they don't uh, keep Anthony Rizzo uh, and re-sign him, you have Aaron Hicks coming back. And you also have the question of whether the Yankees will sign a shortstop and a starting pitcher. Uh, I think many are looking at Carlos Correa and Corey Seager as the prime options for that. But we'll have to see. And it does look like I think the Yankees will sign a shortstop and probably make a big-time trade. But I think shortstop and pitching are the real issues that the team needs to solve. Um, They are getting Severino back, but Cole obviously a bit disappointing in the wild-card game. Uh, with, well, I, honestly, I think a bit disappointing is a bit, uh, you know, last, lackadaisical, if you want to describe it that way. It's a little should be a little harsher. It was a bad performance by him, and he knows it, and I think Yankee fans aren't going to be willing to throw Garrett Cole under the bus just yet, but I think they realize that they spent $324 million on this guy, and he didn't necessarily go up to standards, despite him being one of the best pitchers in the American League by far, and it's hard for me to really hate on Garrett Cole so much because of what he does, but I mean, they do acquire him for big game situations, so I have to be a little upset in, in the least. And in Queens, obviously the Mets were a disappointment to say the least, uh, with a fi- another 500 season with sky-high expectations for a team that arguably should have won the East. I mean, Atlanta, Atlanta proved a lot of people wrong in the postseason with how good they really were, but this Mets team was supposed to be led by a Thirty home run, one thirty runs, rated runs created plus five win plus Francisco Lindor, which did not show up, and they acquired Hobby Bias at the trade deadline, who proved to be an okay acquisition, but now that he's going to free agency, we'll see what the Mets decide to do, and uh, a pitching staff that was dismantled by the injury of Jacob Degrom, and hopefully they're supposed to get Syndergaard back and Degrom back and uh and well i also have to worry about Marcus Stroman re-signing somewhere else i could easily see him winding up somewhere like St. Louis where they really where he really needs a um where they really need some starting pitching depth i mean you saw what they did at the deadline they acquired John Lester and J.A. Happ that's how desperate they were for pitching so they're definitely going to be in on pitching this free agent market but the Mets have a lot of questions that they need to answer specifically uh well they're going to need a new manager with Luis Rojas out the window and If you're in Queens right now, you got to think, as a Met fan, you look for 90 wins, but you don't even think it's possible. I don't even think it's possible. This just seems like the sort of this every year. It's something they think it's going to be great, and then it never works out. It's remarkable. It's, It's honestly a curse. You had 2015 as your exception to the rule. Daniel Murphy obviously carrying the team in the postseason. And a great pitching performances by Matt Harvey, Uh, but doesn't that seem like a lifetime ago? And every year since then, it has been one disappointment after the other. Even with Steve Cohen in there making all these large scale moves, it has turned out to be a disappointment for the Mets. So I think they will be mild spend, not mild, but medium spenders, not as heavily as they were last year with the big trade for Lindor. But I think this year they may back off the throttle a little bit. They're going to make some moves. We'll see. It's probably they're gonna need to address a few things. Mainly, uh, do they want to supplement the injury-laden starting pitching? Maybe go after a bullpen arm or two. Um, uh, I think actually, I think an interesting acquisition for them would be a guy like Kendall Graveman, who was traded from Seattle to Houston and is a free agent at the end of the off season. I think he would be a great acquisition for this Mets team, who I think Jerry's Familia is not... You know, he did recover after. He's an older guy, but they need some extra bullpen help out there. And I think he would be a great guy to supplement him in that Mets bullpen and some offensive help as well. But we shall see. And that will do it for this week on In-Depth on Sports. I'm your host, Ian Colucci. And coming up, as I said, we will have Chris Pierce, the Vice President of Fan Commerce on Sports, talking about his views on fandom and the future of fandom in the sports industry. We're also going to have Marlon Smith, a a former Penn State basketball player. He's going to be talking about the role of analytics and his view on it being implemented in coaching techniques. We'll be interested to see his take on that as well as we will also be joined by Zach Carson who will be talking about basketball and analytics and how it should be viewed in a professional landscape. So we'll get to all that, but this is our first show. I really hope you guys enjoyed, and we will, of course, be back next week, same time, 1045 at WMYU and WMYU.com. Thank you so much, and we will see you guys next time.